Christmas is meant to be a time of hopeful expectation, of joyful anticipation. We set up decorations, we put lights up, we put trees inside of our house, and there's this sense of impending joy that just builds and builds. It was especially strong for most of us when we were kids. I remember when I was a child, December felt like it was five years long because Christmas just took forever to get here. The, that expectation, that thrill was just so tremendous and took so long to arrive. But if we're honest, this is a year where it's hard for us to build that sense of expectation. Like we've been saying throughout this series, this is a dark year. It's a difficult year. And every mask-covered face that we pass on the streets hides a, a life of, of turmoil and difficulty. And so if we're looking at the decorations and the lights and the tinsel, there's part of us that just feels deep down like those externalities of Christmas are inadequate this year. They can't bear the weight of what we've been experiencing. And so we're trying, we're doing all the same things we always do, but we can't help but feel like no matter how exciting and awesome December 25th is, December 26th is going to arrive and all of the same challenges and difficulties that have made this year so hard are still gonna be there waiting for us. It's like our expectations have already gone unmet, like we're preparing ourselves for disappointment. There's this woman in the Gospels who encounters Jesus at the end of a long and brutal season of life, after an unending series of unmet expectations. We're introduced to her in the middle of Mark 5, starting at verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. Three short verses give us a window into 12 years of misery and exhaustion. I mean, this woman has been suffering with an unending discharge of blood for 12 years without being able to have it cured by doctors. Mark actually uses a Greek term, mastix, to describe her affliction, and it's a term that can mean to whip or torment. And it's a perfect marriage of the physical suffering and the emotional suffering that would have been combined with this problem. Because not only does she feel bad and have a, a physical affliction that, that causes her to be exhausted and anemic, um, but she's also ritually, ceremonially unclean. So just like someone with leprosy, this woman can't go to temple, she can't participate in social life. She can't have friends over to her house or go to their houses. She would be unimaginably lonely. It would be almost impossible to her, for her to feel a sense of belonging in her community. She would just always be on the outside looking in. You ever feel like that? Like you're just an outsider who's kind of got your face pushed up against the glass and, and everybody else is inside having a good time? Is that feeling of being in a room full of people, but no one even knows that you're there. Of walking up to a group of people and no one even acknowledges your existence. It's a horrible feeling. Everybody wants to feel like they belong, like they have a place in the world, like they have a seat at the table. And this woman has been experiencing this for 12 years at a level that we can't possibly imagine. I mean, 12 Passovers where every year she's in her house by herself knowing that every house around her has a table full of people celebrating with their friends and family, laughing, talking, praying, and singing, and she's alone year after year. And to make matters worse, along the way she has spent all of her money on treatments that not only don't work, they actually make her condition worse. 
So she's gotten poor and destitute. She spent all of her savings. And time and time again, she has had to muster up the hope to try one more treatment, to spend one more chunk of her dwindling savings on another cure that she could kind of think maybe will work but isn't going to pan out. I mean, how many times throughout her life has she told herself, maybe this is the one that works? Maybe this time this painful and invasive procedure is actually gonna lead to some relief. Maybe I won't feel tired all the time anymore. Maybe this is the Passover where I get to have my family in my house again, where I won't be sitting alone. And time and again, disappointment and unmet expectation until she hears about a traveling healer and teacher named Jesus and somehow musters up the hope to try one more time. Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Her view of him seems almost magical. It was not an uncommon belief in the Greco-Roman world to believe that holy or special people could impart healing by their mere presence. Alexander the Great, for example, was known to have crowds of people show up wherever he was just to see if they could get some healing from him. So it's possible that something like that is mixed up with this woman's view of Jesus, but at the very least, she has a clear confidence that Jesus is able to heal her. So she forces her way through the crowd, and this is a dense crowd. The way that Mark describes it is meant to evoke pictures of a crowd that Jesus is getting like bumped and jostled as he walks through. So she secretly pushes her way through the crowd thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, and she does. And some of the other accounts actually say that what she touches are the tassels on the edges of his garment that a Jewish man at this time would have worn. And when she touches him, something incredible happens. Verse 29, And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. After 12 years of failed attempts to achieve healing, after trying and trying and never having any success, after being left destitute and exhausted, she is healed in an instant, 12 years of suffering, undone in a single moment. But her joy is actually short-lived because she's not the only one who recognizes what just happened. Verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus is somehow spiritually aware of what has just happened. He knows that someone has been healed by him. And so he starts asking, who just touched me? And his disciples very reasonably are like, you're walking through a dense crowd. Dozens of people have touched you. What are you talking about? But Jesus is relentless. He will not be a mere ATM for miracles. See, this woman came looking for something, but Jesus is after someone. Finally, she reveals herself in fear and trembling. And you might immediately ask, why? Why the fear? Shouldn't she be thrilled to tell Jesus what happened, to announce her newly cleansed status to everyone around her? But you have to remember this woman's uncleanness. She's a social outcast. She doesn't belong. She's not a member of the family. And she just pushed her way through a busy crowd of ritually clean Jews. So she has probably accidentally made unclean dozens of people. 
So almost certainly she was hoping to touch Jesus, receive healing, and then just kind of melt back into anonymity like she was used to. Back to the fringes, back to being an outcast. And now she's about to be revealed to everyone as an unclean woman who just touched half of them and who just reached out and touched a holy man. So of course she's full of fear. Of course her body would be trembling. I mean, she's expecting to receive yet another public rebuke just for being in a place she's not supposed to be, just for being the wrong person in the wrong spot. I mean, she's probably expecting this famous teacher to look at her and say something like, like, what are you even doing here? You don't belong here. How dare you, an unclean woman, touch me? Get out of here. She's ready to be sent back to the margins where she spent the last 12 years. And she just got physically healed, but she's probably preparing herself to receive one more social wound in front of a crowd. And instead, Jesus looks at her and says the one word that she needed to hear more than anything in the entire world. Verse 34 says, And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus is surrounded by a massive crowd of people. And yet when he calls her daughter, it probably felt like it was just him and her. I mean, think about it. Think about how amazing Jesus' insight is in this moment. This woman has spent 12 years completely isolated, separated from her people because of an affliction that was not even her fault. And she was a daughter of God who probably had not felt like one for a long time. And she needed desperately to be told, not just that her physical affliction and suffering was over, but that she belonged, that she was part of a family. I think this woman needed to be called daughter every bit as much as she needed physical healing. At the same time, Jesus makes it clear that it wasn't magic that healed her. It wasn't his garment, but her faith in him that made her well. And his last words to her are, go in peace and be healed of your disease. She'd already been healed physically, but this public meeting and statement of approval has healed her of her social and religious wounds as well. So here's the thing. There might just be a really good reason why it's hard for us to get our hopes up for Christmas this year why it feels like there isn't going to be enough holiday cheer to really lift us up this season. And it's because if Christmas isn't understood properly, then it absolutely can't lift you up. If Christmas is just about tinsel and lights and the externalities of Christmas and some ethereal sense of joy and wonder, then it's absolutely going to fall flat. And December 26th is going to come crashing in like a bulldozer, leaving you with nothing but unmet expectations in a living room full of wrapping paper. But if Christmas is about a who instead of a what, if Christmas is about Jesus, then it does become this unshakable foundation for real joy and peace and relief. See, it's not just a trite platitude to be like, oh, Christmas has to be all about Jesus. This year of all years, we desperately need Christmas to be all about Jesus. And Jesus is not a something. He is a someone. He's not just a mere means for your needs to be met. He's a person who wants to know and be known by you. A person who wants to invite you into his family, to invite you to the table of God. And he's a person who knows exactly what it's like to experience the kind of pain and suffering that we've been dealing with this year. 
See, Christmas is a time when we remember that God's Son was born not into a fairy tale of joy and perfection and ease, but into a world that was dark and into a life that would be difficult. He'd be called the man of sorrows. He would have no place to lay his head. And he would eventually suffer and die in order to rescue us from sin and death. And so in December 2020, this Christmas, know that Jesus can look at you in whatever situation you're struggling through and say, daughter, son, I know. I know what it is to suffer. I know what it is to be alone. I know what it is to feel isolation and misery. And yet, I came to be the light of the world. And I am with you. And so Jesus, again, doesn't just come to heal you. He doesn't just come to forgive you of your sins. He does, of course, but he also comes to invite you into the family of God, to make it so that those who were alienated from God, who were outsiders, could be brought into his family. And here's the best part. If you have your Christmas ordered accordingly with Jesus at the center, then all of these other things that we love about Christmas, the lights and the gifts and the trees, they all become beautiful, good things that are actually exactly what they were designed to be. Window dressing for the main event. See, trees, lights, and gifts are beautiful as a means to an end. So long as that end is to point us to the glory of the only begotten Son of God who came to turn estranged outcasts into beloved daughters and sons.